What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So today is the NBA draft. I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of my first round mock draft. But before I do so, I'm going to talk about some trades across the NBA over the last day or so. I'm going to start off with some trade rumors, including Paul George, who the Clippers could be potentially shopping. According to reports on Twitter, he could be heading to Portland if there were to be a deal. And then the same thing with the Knicks. There were discussions between the Knicks and the Clippers, including Paul George. Personally, I do not want to trade Paul George. I know a lot of Clippers fans look at this trade potential possibility and they say, oh, we should trade Paul George and get the third overall pick and get Scoot Henderson. I think Scoot Henderson is a good player, but I think if you want to win now and try to win with Kawhi Leonard, I think Paul George is the perfect player alongside him if they can both stay healthy. Obviously, at the end of the day, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have not been able to stay healthy, but I think you should keep this team together one more year to try to run it. If you look at what happened in the NBA Finals this year, or in the NBA Playoffs in general, which I'll get into the Finals in just a second, in the NBA Playoffs this year, this was a perfect opportunity for the Clibs, if they were fully healthy, to go on a run. If they could have just gone on a run, I think they could have won the NBA Finals. Then if you look at the NBA Finals, the difference between Miami and Denver was obviously talent, to a degree with Tyler Hero being out, that makes a big difference for Miami. And they have Jimmy Butler, but he wasn't really playing up to level. He usually does in the playoffs. And then you have Bam Adebayo, who went off, and he played great. But if you look at Denver, they have Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and then a bunch of depth and great role players that I can name a few right now. Michael Porter Jr., Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown. There's so much supporting depth there. And that's what I think the Clippers could have feasted on in the NBA playoffs if they just stayed healthy this year. And obviously Denver would have been a great matchup for the Clippers in the Western Conference semifinals. It would have been if the Clippers could have got past Phoenix. I think it would have been a great matchup though to watch. So that's why I'd keep this team together because depth makes a huge difference in today's NBA and no team besides the Nuggets is as deep as the Clippers are on the bench. So I would keep Paul George together with Kawhi Leonard. I know a lot of people would love to split these two up and try to get Scoot Henderson. I would rather keep Paul George in a Clippers uniform for at least one more year. And obviously, this is the last guaranteed year of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard since they have a potential chance to opt out after this year ends. So one more year and they could opt out. Who knows? If things are going south by the trade deadline for the Clippers this year, they could send one or both of them their opposite directions in, in trade both of them if they were to want to do so at the trade deadline this upcoming year in February of 2024. We'll see what happens, obviously. But as of now, there were discussions between the Blazers and the Clippers and the Knicks and the Clippers, but I do not want to trade Paul George. So next up, connected to the Paul George trade rumors in Portland also is the whole situation with Damian Lillard and whether or not the Blazers are going to trade him or not. Obviously, a big storyline going into this draft is Damian Lillard wants talent around him and wants current talent in the NBA rather than drafting a guy with the third overall pick and rather a current star in the NBA to play alongside him. And we'll see what happens in the draft tonight. Obviously, there are trade rumors around Portland. There have been for a long time whether or not they'll trade the third overall pick or trade Damian Lillard. But as of now, Damian Lillard looks like he'll be staying in Portland and we'll see what they do with the third overall selection in tonight's draft. So now moving on to a trade between the Denver Nuggets and Indiana Pacers. It includes two draft picks in this year's draft with the Indiana Pacers trading the 29th and 32nd overall picks in this year's draft to the Denver Nuggets in exchange for the least favorable of Denver's two first-round picks in 2024 and the number 40 overall pick in tonight's draft. So Denver gets the 29th and 32nd picks in this year's draft in exchange for their least favorable of their two first-round picks in next year's draft and the 40th overall pick in this year's draft. So we'll see what happens 
with those draft picks next year. But as of now, we know the 29th, 32nd picks are going to the Denver Nuggets for the 40th overall pick in this year's draft, which we go into the Pacers along with a first-round pick in next year's NBA draft. So this trade makes sense both ways. If you look at it, the Pacers had five draft picks going into tonight's draft, and now they split it up and now only have three picks, which no team really has enough room to take care of five rookie contracts on their roster. So it makes sense that they want to cut down and only have three draft picks in tonight's draft. And then as for Denver... They're trying to find a way to get around the new collective bargaining agreement, which is really going against teams that want to spend a ton of money. Now you can only have two max contracts after the season ends, this upcoming season. You can only have two max contracts on your roster, meaning at the end of the day, you're going to have to find a way to fill your roster with more role players, guys in the draft, smaller contracts. So it makes sense for Denver to try to get draft picks at the end of the first round, start of the second round, to try to build their roster in depth around that, like they did in this past draft last year, where they got Christian Brown late in the draft, and he ends up playing a crucial role for them in the NBA Finals this year. So now I'm going to move on to the biggest trade that I'm going to talk about in this episode, and it includes the Boston Celtics, Memphis Grizzlies, and Washington Wizards, and in that trade, Marcus Smart would be shipped out to Memphis in exchange for Kristaps Porzingis, the 25th overall pick in tonight's draft, and the Warriors' 2024 first-round pick, which is top four protected. So the Celtics are getting two first-round picks, the 25th pick in tonight's draft, and a first-round pick in next year's draft with Kristaps Porzingis in exchange for Marcus Smart, who the Celtics will be trading to Memphis. And then the Wizards will be getting Tyus Jones from Memphis, along with Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala from the Celtics in the 35th overall pick in tonight's draft from the Boston Celtics. The original deal included the Clippers, with the Clippers getting an injured Malcolm Brogdon in exchange for Marcus Morris, Amir Coffey, and a first-round pick. Then, ultimately, the Clippers end up falling out of the deal due to Malcolm Brogdon's medical situation. He does have an injury that he suffered in his forearm during the NBA playoffs, and that was a worry for the Clippers. They didn't think he'd be ready for the season. So they end up falling out of the deal late last night, and then... All of a sudden, Memphis jumps in a few hours later, and the deal's back on, and this time it includes Marcus Smart rather than Malcolm Brogdon, who will stay a Celtic. So the Clippers originally were sending Marcus Morris and Amir Coffey with the first-round pick to Washington in exchange for Malcolm Brogdon. Then ultimately, the Clippers decided they don't like Malcolm Brogdon's injury. So at the end of the day, they decide to fall out of the deal before there is a medical evaluation, which ultimately... Usually there is a medical evaluation of every single player before a trade is fully put through, but there was a timestamp on this trade. The Celtics and the Wizards had to get this done by midnight last night before the opt-in, opt-out deadline uh, hit for Kristaps Porzingis, so they end up moving on. Malcolm Brogdon obviously wasn't ready uh, to get a physical, and at the end of the day, it would have been hard to get a physical in that time span a couple hours before the deadline, so the Clippers said, screw it, we're out. They end up falling out of the deal, which I didn't want Malcolm Brogdon. I was actually upset for a few hours when the deal was supposed to be official, and there were rumors about it, and then it became official for a few hours, and then the Clippers end up falling out before it was officially signed. But I wasn't a fan of the deal in general. Malcolm Brogdon is a very similar player to Norman Powell, who I think is better. I think Malcolm Brogdon is a good player, and obviously he's a great three-point shooter. He's one of the best in the NBA this past season. But Norman Powell, I think, is better. As a Clipper, I think he's a better player because he attacks the basket, and that's what Clippers need most. You need somebody that can attack the basket alongside Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, who, when they were out there playing, they weren't attacking the basket like they used to. There was a little bit 
of a span of maybe five to seven games where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were attacking the basket ferociously, play in and play out last season. But at the end of the day, they didn't really love driving. They loved taking the jump shots from you know the elbow and the three-pointer. And at the end of the day, they need somebody that can attack the basket. And that's what Norman Powell did for the Clippers. And that's what Russell Westbrook did as well, attack the basket. And that's what you need on this Clippers team. So I like Norman Powell more than I like Malcolm Brogdon. So I'm happy the Clippers fell out of this deal. As for the Celtics trading Marcus Smart, I think if you look at this deal, Kristaps Porzingis did opt into his $36 million player option for this current season, upcoming season, I should say. And there is an expectation that he'll opt in to a two-year extension from the Celtics as well. So if he does do that, it would be a three-year deal that the Celtics would have Porzingis, who's coming off a very good season for the Washington Wizards. As for the Celtics trading Marcus Smart, though, they just traded the hot and soul of the franchise. Marcus Smart is gone. He's no longer Celtic. He's now a Memphis Grizzly. And this is a Grizzlies team that could use a guy that plays physical, that holds his teammates accountable, that gives it his all, playing and play out and plays with hustle. I think Marcus Smart's a great fit in Memphis there. But for the Celtics, they do lose the hot and soul of their team. The hot and soul of their team for the last nine seasons. Since Marcus Smart was drafted by the Celtics in 2014, the sixth overall pick out of Oklahoma State, he embodied everything about what it means to be a Boston Celtic. Whether it was hustling and gaining Tommy points every single night. Tommy Heinsohn obviously was a great Celtic and he did love hustle on the floor and guys giving it their all. And Marcus Smart is the exact textbook definition of that. And also whether it was Marcus Smart, night in and night out, never giving up and never quitting. Whether the Celtics were rebuilding, which they were when they first drafted him. He was really the first pick for the Celtics out of their Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett era being over. He was the first pick of the Celtics fully rebuilding. He saw the good with the Celtics and the bad. He was part of the Chris Humphreys era when the Celtics traded Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry to the Brooklyn Nets. He saw the Isaiah Thomas situation where Isaiah Thomas really rebuilt this franchise and brought hope and happiness back to the Boston Celtics franchise, which was a struggling franchise for a couple seasons while they were rebuilding. He saw the Gordon Hayward era. He saw the Al Horford era both times, whether it was Al Horford when he first became a Celtic or when he went to Philly and then came back to the Celtics. He saw the Kemba Walker era. Marcus Smart has been here through a lot of the ups and downs for the Boston Celtics since the end of their glory days with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett being gone. So if you look at Marcus Smart, you would know the Celtics are going to miss him on the floor. And I know a lot of Celtics fans are upset as well. And... The crazy part of the situation is, is the Clippers didn't opt out of that deal and didn't fall out of the deal before a medical evaluation was done on Malcolm Brogdon. Marcus Smart's probably still a Celtic because I don't think they wanted to give him up. It's just in the reality of the situation is you couldn't trade Malcolm Brogdon since he's an injured commodity. No one's going to want him, especially since no one really knows what the situation is there with his arm injury. So Marcus Smart ends up being gone because of that deal with the Clippers falling out. But as a Celtics fan, which... Obviously, everybody knows I'm a Clippers fan first, but I was a Celtics fan a lot of the time growing up, even though I've been a Clippers fan for the last couple of years. The Celtics were my team growing up, and Marcus Smart was one of my favorite Celtics. So it's hard to see him being gone. And this is a guy that was a defensive player of the year just a year ago, three-time all-defensive NBA. He's been a hustle player for the Celtics year in and year out. He's averaged 10.6 points per game in his ninth season with the Celtics. Shooting 32.3% from three, shooting 
38.6% from the floor overall to go along with 4.6 assists per game, 3.5 rebounds per game, along with 1.6 steals and 0.4 blocks per contest. And this is a guy that gave you his all every single night. I think that is a loss there for the Boston Celtics. But as for what they get in return, they get a guy, Kristaps Porzingis, who's 28 years old. Marcus Mutt is 29. Kristaps Porzingis is 27 years old. He'll be 28 by the start of the season. He turns 28 in just a month or so from now. August 2nd, he turns 28. But this is a guy that was a former top overall pick, fourth overall in the 2015 NBA draft. He's now a seven-year NBA veteran going on his eighth season. He has had his fair share of injuries, did tear his ACL in the 2018-2019 NBA season, ended up not playing at all during that year after tearing his ACL, I believe it was in the 2017-2018 season, then he missed all of the 2018-2019 season. And if you look at it, he did play his most games of his career since his second season last year. He played 65 games last year for Washington, which was his most since playing 66 games in the 2016-2017 season for the Knicks, which was his second season in the NBA. If you go down the line in his career, played 72 games in his rookie year, 66 games in his second year, 48 games in his third year, zero games in his fourth year, 57 games in his fifth year, 43 games in his sixth year, 51 games in his seventh year, and then last year, 65 games. So he's an NBA veteran that's played... Seven years on the court with eight years in the NBA. Did miss a full season with that ACL injury just about four years ago now. So for Porzingis, not a bad pickup by the Celtics. Obviously a great center that can help you offensively. Seven foot three, 240 pounds. He can help you offensively and definitely help you spread the floor since he can shoot threes. Did shoot 38.5% from three last season for Washington. Averaging 2.1 threes per game made in 5.5 attempts. In his career, is a 35.9% shooter from three. So let's say 36% from three in his career. Also averaging 19.6 points per game in his NBA career to go along with 7.9 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 0.7 steals, and 1.8 blocks per game. I think if you look at it, he's a very good player that can help spread the floor. Last year did average 23.2 points per game for Washington to go along with 8.4 rebounds. He's a double-double threat every single night. Definitely could help them shoot some threes. I do think he plays a little bit soft though. And I think at the end of the day with this Celtics team, if you look at it, they're a team that already did play soft. And I think everybody saw that in the NBA playoffs. Miami just took the Celtics out of the game. Obviously playing physical. And then also if you added Miami with their hustle, the Celtics did not play as hard as they could have in that series against Miami. The Celtics did play soft. And they have played soft. And now they get a guy in Porzingis that's very good offensively, obviously coming off his best season, probably offensively in his career, averaging 23.2 points per game, which was his career best last year. But he does play soft as well for a guy that is 7'3", 240 pounds. He does play soft. So you added another guy that plays soft, and you just lost the Hunt and Solia team in Marcus Smart. At the end of the day, the Celtics did have to make changes. That's why I'm not too upset with this move from a Celtics standpoint. And a Celtics fan standpoint, people are going to be upset with the Celtics losing Marcus Smart if you're a big Celtics fan and you love Marcus Smart. But from a Celtics front office viewpoint, I understand not running back the same exact team because this wasn't going to work. You weren't going to win with this core and this big three with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. That's why it makes sense splitting them up and sending one in their opposite direction. Obviously, Marcus Smart ends up being that guy. I know a lot of people were upset with Marcus Smart and his shot selection, and especially late in games. His shot selection wasn't always great. But part of the reason he was taking so many bad shots late in the shot clock, late in games, was because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were deferring to him and letting him shoot those big shots. 
They were letting him shoot the big shots at big moments. So that's not always Marcus Smart's fault. I stuck up for Marcus Smart multiple times on my radio show and here on the podcast saying it's not always Marcus Smart's fault that he's taking big shots at big moments. He's the only one that has the guts to take a lot of those big shots, isn't afraid of missing in those big moments. Marcus Smart got the ball in a lot of big moments because Tatum and Brown were afraid to take those big shots or because they were getting double teamed. One of them was getting double teamed and the other one definitely had solo coverage on him. So, at the end of the day, one of them had to be one-on-one with somebody. You're not going to double up both of those guys. Said somebody's going to be wide open. So, whether Tatum was doubled or Jalen was doubled, the other guy was in single coverage, in individual coverage, but somehow Marcus Smart always found the ball in big moments. I know a lot of people were upset with Marcus Smart calling out Joe Mazzulla at some point during the season, saying that Joe Mazzulla is a head coach that's learning on the fly. And that is kind of a jab at Joe Mazzulla, basically saying he's not really experienced enough to be the head coach here and he's learning a lot of the nitty-gritty parts of being a coach on the fly and didn't really have the experience heading into this year. That is obviously a tough thing to say about your head coach, but to some degree, maybe Marcus Smart wasn't wrong about that. I mean, Joe Mazzulla was learning on the fly. He wasn't really great in late-game scenario, late game scenarios, didn't know when to call a timeout, didn't know when to not call a timeout. Those are things you kind of have to know as a head coach. But a lot of people were upset with Marcus Smart always taking those big shots. I know the Celtics front office is probably upset about Marcus Smart taking slight jabs at Joe Mazzulla's inexperience. And I know some people were upset about Marcus Smart just all of a sudden subbing himself in games or being in the huddle and calling plays and writing up things on the whiteboard. I know a lot of people are upset with a lot of those things since Marcus Smart was making plays on the clipboard during timeouts sometimes. And sometimes that's what you do if you're the leader. But at the end of the day, the Celtics had to make a decision to split things up. And I think at the end of the day, they had to make some sort of high decision, whether it was moving on from Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, or Marcus Smart. Somebody had to go. And obviously, the easier one of those two is trading Marcus Smart. Even though it's hard from a fan's perspective, I know a lot of people are going to be upset with Marcus Smart being moved. But something had to happen. Something had to flip there. They had to move on. And... That's what happened. I mean, you had to you had to switch it up somehow. So Marcus Smart is gone. He is now a Memphis Grizzly. Now I wish him nothing but the best in Memphis. I always root for a guy like Marcus Smart since he always gives it his all every single play. Every single play gives it his all. And I know a lot of people are moving on from him pretty easily. Marcus Smart, some people are, some people aren't. But for those that are moving on from pretty easily, you'll see a different Celtics team next year when he's not on the floor. You're going to see a different team. Since Marcus Smart was the heart and soul of the team, they didn't just lose a big, big locker room presence. So now moving on to the Bradley Beal trade, which was another big blockbuster trade going down in the NBA over the last week. Bradley Beal was traded to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple second-round picks and multiple pick swaps. I'll break down the pick swaps in the second-round picks right now. So the first-round pick swaps were in 2024, 2026, 2028, and 2030 along with second-round picks in 2024, 2025, 2026, 2027, 2028, and 2030. So all in all, Phoenix will be sending six second-round picks, along with four first-round pick swaps to Washington, along with Chris Paul and Landry Shamit in exchange for Bradley Beal. Now Phoenix does not have a draft pick through 2031. And obviously, with that being said, they're going all-in with Kevin Durant and David Booker. They want to win an NBA Finals, and in doing so, they split ways with all of their draft picks through 2031. Their first-round picks that they sent to Brooklyn in exchange for Kevin Durant in 2023, 2025, 2027, and 2029. So four first-round picks to Brooklyn for Kevin Durant. They also sent a second-round pick to OKC in 2029 and a second-round pick in 2030 to Washington. 
So that means they don't have a draft pick through 2031. So this is a team that is going all in, all in to win the NBA Finals now. And now they pick up a guy in Bradley Beal who has missed his fair share of games over the last few years. There's another guy that has a great talent offensively, but wasn't really always there, isn't always available because of injuries. The last two seasons, he averaged 23.2 points per game, respectively, in both of the last two seasons. But in the prior two seasons before that, he averaged 30.5 points per game at 31.3, and then fell down to 23.2 in each of the last two seasons, only playing in 90 of a possible 162 games over the last two seasons, missing 72 games over the last two years. This is a guy that only played in 57, 60, 40, and 50 games over the last four respective seasons. He's missed a lot of games over the last four seasons. And so Phoenix is going all in with this core of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, now Bradley Beal, along with DeAndre Ayton. And Ayton could be a potential guy they move at some point. Chris Paul, obviously, they did move in this deal. So they got rid of at least one of their pieces on their roster that was taking up a good amount of cap space. But I think if you look at it, I don't know how they're going to figure this out next year when the new CBA hits after this upcoming season and you can only have two max contracts on a roster. Who do you move? Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, or Bradley Beal? If I had to guess, I would imagine be Kevin Durant maybe. If it doesn't work out with Durant this next upcoming season, you would still get a ton back for Durant after this upcoming year. So maybe they do just split ways with him if after the season it doesn't work out since you can only have two max contracts on a roster through this upcoming season. One more year, you can only have uh, three max contracts on a roster. You can only have two after this upcoming season. And at the end of the day, you're probably not going to be able to trade Bradley Beal with that huge contract if he were to miss a good amount of games this year too, let's say, hypothetically. And then Devin Booker, I mean, they kind of want to build around him, it seems like, since he has homegrown talent. So we'll see what happens there. But all in all, I think the Wizards did pretty good for themselves in this deal, getting back six second-round picks and four pick swaps, along with Chris Paul. They just flipped for Jordan Poole. That's a pretty good deal there for Washington. I think there's a better deal for Washington than it is for Phoenix. I think Bradley Beal is a very good offensive player. Yet again, another guy in that team and in that rotation that doesn't play great defense. This is a team that doesn't have any depth and won't have any depth since a lot of these guys are making a good amount of money. Bradley Bale obviously making a ton of money. Got a super max deal last summer from the Washington Wizards. Then you're also adding Kevin Durant, who's making a good amount of money. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. They're not going to really have as much cap space here to really build around these guys on the bench. So they're just going to really run with the starting lineup and maybe one or two guys off the bench in the playoffs. Obviously, it didn't work out for them against Denver in the playoffs this year. And this is a Suns team that had a pretty close series. Even though they did win the series in five games against the LA Clippers, they did have a close series. It was not really that big of a difference between these two teams talent-wise. And that's a Clippers team that was without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers' depth were able to keep up with this Phoenix Suns team. That's because the Phoenix Suns don't have a bench, and they still won't have a bench. So I don't think this Phoenix Suns team is as destined for the NBA Finals as most people see. Now moving on to the Jordan Poole trade, which just went down today. Jordan Poole being sent to Washington in exchange for Chris Paul. The Warriors pick up Chris Paul, and in exchange we're sending Jordan Poole into first round in 2030, along with the second round in 2027, in exchange for Chris Paul. So the Warriors get Chris Paul, and the Wizards get... A 2030 first-round pick, a 2027 second-round pick, and Jordan Poole. 
I think this deal makes sense for Washington, considering they weren't going to really keep Chris Paul anyways. They were looking for a way to move him. Now they end up getting a guy to build around in Jordan Poole. A guy that's going to be able to take 20 to 25 shots per game next year in this Washington Wizards lineup. A team that doesn't have Bradley Beal, doesn't have Kristaps Porzingis anymore. Won't have Kyle Kuzma. This is a team that's looking for a guy to build around, a guy that can take a good amount of shots. And now Jordan Poole will be that guy next year. As for the Warriors, Mike Dunleavy, the new GM, did say a few days ago that they would like to keep Jordan Poole for the next three or four seasons. And now... Just a few days later, Dunleavy goes and trades Jordan Poole to the Washington Wizards. And that just proves that this is all an industry that is a business. This is an industry that is a business. They could say, oh, we're not trading guy. We want to build around him. And then just a few days later, turn around and trade him. And that just proves that at the end of the day, you never know what can happen in the sports industry, especially with trades. I think this is a win for the Washington Wizards. As for the Warriors, Chris Paul is 38 years old. He's not going to really give you the scoring that Jordan Poole probably would have given you, but he can be a facilitator and help out that Warriors offense and spread the ball around to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. I think it's a weird fit, though, in that Golden State offense, but I guess we'll see what happens there. So now I'm going to move on to my first round mock draft for this year's NBA draft, which is tonight, starting at 8 o'clock on ESPN. I'm going to try to rush through this since I do have to go to softball, so I'm going to see if I can get through this rather quickly. So the first overall pick, the San Antonio Spurs, 22-60 and 60 last year. They were tied for the worst record in the West. Start of the season 5-2, and two, very good early on, and then returned to tank mode, ending up the first overall pick due to the draft lottery. As for some decisions for the team, they still have Greg Popovich as the head coach, and then Romeo Lankford is a restricted free agent. Not really much going on for that team. There isn't really too much talent there, but they will have more talent when they take Victor Wampanyama with the first overall pick in tonight's draft. 7'4", 237-pound center from France, just 19 years old. Franchise-changing talent will be an all-star contender from the jump. Not even a question. He's an all-star threat for year one. The guy can do it all. All-around talent. Eight-foot wingspan is the best prospect since LeBron James. Very similar to Kevin Durant, just a bigger Kevin Durant. He's seven foot four. Could do similar things to Durant. He led all players during the regular season in the LNB Pro A division in France, which is a professional basketball league in France. He averaged twenty-one point six points, which was the leader in points. Led them in rebounds at ten point four rebounds per game, then also in blocks at three point one blocks per game, and was named the league MVP to no surprise, obviously. He shot 28% from three, 83% from the free throw line, 47% from the floor. Also averaged 2.4 assists per game. One thing that has to get better is his shooting, but he does have the capability to shoot long NBA threes. He led the Metropolitan's 92 team to their first finals appearance ever. That's the team he played for, the Mets 92. He will be the first French player ever drafted first overall and the first non-college basketball player to go first since Andrea Bagnani did it in 2006. Next up... The Charlotte Hornets, the second overall pick. They were 27-55 and 55 last year, the fourth worst record in the NBA. They have a good amount of free agents. Kelly Oubre, P.J. Washington, Dennis Smith Jr., and then Svi Mihailuk, who came on last year at the end of the season, really started turning things up last year for the Hornets. Averaged 17 points per game in the last nine games of the season, shooting 38.2% from three, 45% from the floor, averaging 4.8 assists, four rebounds, and 1.3 steals over those nine games. Had 25-plus points in two of the last four games of the season last year. Started to get more minutes at the end of the season when they started to sit some of their regular starters since they re- re- really weren't playing for much except a top draft pick, and things worked out there, obviously. Hopefully, they bring him back. I did like what I saw from him last season there at the end of the season for Charlotte. For a team that has LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier at the gods, it would make sense 
for them to go Brandon Miller, I think. I think this team would benefit more from Brandon Miller being their pick when looking at their current lineup. Although I think Scoot Henderson could be a good add to this lineup as well. A very good athlete and very good all-around player. I think Brandon Miller is the better talent here with the second overall pick. I think it's close between Miller and Henderson. I know a lot of people prefer Henderson over Miller. I think Miller is a better player in my eyes. But I think both guys will be very good in the NBA. I think Miller makes more sense in this lineup alongside Lamella Ball and Terry Rozier. He's a forward from Alabama, freshman, 6'9", 200 pounds, the SEC Freshman of the Year and Player of the Year. Very good three-point shooter, very similar play to Paula George. Pure scorer that can create his own offense, hit you with a mid-range jump shot, hit a three, drive to the lane. Brandon Miller can do it all, very similar to PG-13. Pure scorer that I think would look very good alongside LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward, and Terry Rozier. One very interesting thing about Brandon Miller, he said during a press conference the other day during an interview, they said, who's your go-to basketball? MJ LeBron. He said his goat of basketball is Paul George right away. As everybody knows that listens to this, I'm a big Paul George fan. He gained my respect even more hearing him say that Paul George is his goat of basketball. I know a lot of people were upset about that. But he said, my goat of basketball is Paul George, meaning a player he models his game after, a guy that he's always idolized, and a guy that he has watched his whole career and always was a big fan of. Paul George is that guy for him and is the guy he always wanted to to model his game after. It makes sense. He's 6'9", very similar height and weight to Paul George. He could do similar things to PG-13. So it makes sense that Paul George is his goat of basketball. And right away, you know I'm a fan of him just because of that line. He averaged 18.8 points per game last year, 8.2 rebounds, 2.1 assists, 0.9 blocks, 0.4 steals, shoot 38.4% from three, 86% from the free throw line, and 43% from the floor overall for the Alabama Crimson Tide. So now moving on to the Portland Trailblazers, the third overall pick, the fifth worst record in the NBA last year, 33-49. This team went into full heavy tank mode after the All-Star break last year. Before the All-Star break, they were 28-30 and last year, still in the mix to make the playoffs. At that time, the Lakers were 27-32 for reference here. The Lakers were 16-7 and after the All-Star break, the second best record in the NBA. The Portland Trailblazers, 5-19 after the All-Star break, the second worst in the NBA last season post-All-Star break. Second worst record in the NBA post-All-Star break last year was the Portland Trailblazers. They were 28-30 before the All-Star break and then 5-19 in their last 24 games after the All-Star break. The Lakers had one less win than the Portland Trailblazers before the All-Star break last year and ended up going 16-7 after the All-Star break, the second-best record in the NBA post-All-Star break. Then you look at Portland, the second-worst in the NBA post-All-Star break. And I think with this pick... They could do a variety of things. They could trade the third overall pick. They could take a guy with a third overall pick to help try to build around Damian Lillard. They could really go a million ways with this pick, but I think they're going to try to add talent around Damian Lillard with this overall selection. I think they have a solid core around Damian Lillard right now with Joseph Nurkic, Shaden Chop, who's a first-round pick in last year's draft, and Anthony Simons, who's been very good for them over the last couple seasons. Jeremy Grant is a free agent for them. I'd like to see them bring him back. With this third overall pick, I had them taking Scoot Henderson, a point guard from the NBA G League Ignite team. 6'2", 195 pounds, built like a linebacker, very strong build, unreal athleticism, can jump out of the gym like Russell Westbrook. Gets to the cup with ease, averaged 16.5 points per game this past season, 5.4 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 1.1 steals, shooting 28% from three and 43% for the floor overall. Scoot Henderson, like Victor Wambanyama and Kim Whitmore, all three prospects in this draft said that their favorite player growing up was Russell Westbrook. Obviously, he had an impact on all three of those guys and obviously definitely grew their love for the game. Similar to myself, very big Russell Westbrook fan, so I like hearing Henderson, Wambanyama, and Whitmore say 
that he was an inspiration for them and definitely a player they enjoyed watching growing up. He obviously offered a good amount of highlight reels over his career, whether it was Oklahoma City, Houston, Washington, the Lakers. I mean, that was kind of just a fallout there. It just didn't work out for the Lakers or Russ. But with the Clippers, got right back to what he was doing. Great to see Russ doing good things. And obviously, it's fun to see other players say that, that their favorite player is Russell Westbrook, similar to myself. So now moving on to the Houston Rockets, they have the fourth overall pick, 22-60 record last year. They were tied with San Antonio for the worst record in the West last season. The very nice young core, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Jabari Smith, Alperon Shingun, Ty Ty Washington. The very nice young core there. I think this team is only going to get better over the next few years considering how many draft picks they have. And now they have a prime pick with the fourth overall selection. I like what I saw out of Shangun last year. Average 15 points per game, 9 rebounds, and .9 blocks per game. So just about one block per game along with 15 points and 9 rebounds. I think he's a guy to build around in the paint. I think with this fourth overall pick, I think they'll go with Amin Thompson, a 20-year-old shooting guard from Overtime Elite, a six foot seven, 202-pound shooting guard. He played for Overtime Elite, as I said, which is an option for high school players to go and play there and turn pro and get paid to play if they ultimately do choose to not go to the G League or they choose to not go to college and play in college for a year. They have the option of going to play for Overtime Elite, and that's what Ahmed Thompson did. Played very well for them in that league, averaging 16.4 points per game, 5.9 rebounds, 5.9 assists, along with averaging two dunks per game, shooting 25% from three and 56.6% from the floor. He has an electric burst down the lane, plays very quick, plays very fast, he's agile, and one thing that he does have to improve upon is his shooting, but I think he's a very good player, would be a great add to this offense in that nice young core in Houston. I like seeing what they're doing. I think Houston and the Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder, they're going to rule the West for years to come, considering how great they've been at rebuilding their young core. I think all three of those teams have a bright future ahead. Next up, the Detroit Pistons, 17-65 record last year, worst record in the NBA. Somehow, though, got unlucky in the lottery, end up with the fifth overall pick. This team just signed Monty Williams to a six-year, $78.5 million contract to be their head coach. Dwayne Casey will now be in their front office rather than being their head coach. Last year in the first round, they took Jaden Ivey and Jalen Durant in the first round. Two very good draft picks to build around. They also traded with James Wiseman midseason, who averaged 12.7 points per game and 8 rebounds per game after being acquired by the Detroit Pistons from the Golden State Warriors. If you look at this team, they still have Boyan Bogdanovich, who averaged 22 points per game last year, 41% from three. Also had eight threes in the last game of the year. I think they move him for some draft picks. He's not really a guy to build around. He's a very good player, but for a team that's rebuilding, you can get current assets, young assets to build around, or draft picks. I think that's ultimately what they'll choose to do. With this pick, I think they'll go Jarris Walker, freshman power forward from Houston, six foot seven, 249-pound power forward, getting a lot of buzz right now to go top five to Detroit. Since they believe, a lot of these scouts believe he could pair well with Jalen Durant. I believe so as well. One worry about him, though, is his injuries. But you can see the talent. And that's why I believe he can go fourth overall here. Fifth overall, rather. Excuse me, to the Detroit Pistons. Last year, he averaged 11.2 points per game. 6.8 rebounds. 1.8 assists. Shooting 34% from three. For the Houston Cougars. Played very physical on defense, has a very strong build, definitely can hold his own already in the NBA and can cover one through four in the NBA, whether it's a point guard through power forward, he has the ability to cover all four, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and also could shoot as well, shooting 35% to three last year, which could definitely help spread the floor in the NBA. Big men in today's NBA, whether you're a power forward or at center, most of them have to be able to shoot in today's day. There's no more... Dwight Howards or Shaqs that can't shoot. You're going to have guys that can shoot threes now. You're not looking for guys like DeAndre Jordan anymore. Shaq, 
or even Dwight Howard, who I just said. All three of those guys couldn't really shoot threes or shoot free throws. In today's day and in the NBA, you have to be able to shoot threes if you're a power forward or center, and that's obviously something Walker can do. Next up, the sixth overall pick. It is the Orlando Magic, 34-48 and record last year, the third worst record in the East. They need shooters alongside Paula Bunkero and Franz Wagner. Markel Fultz revamped his career in Orlando. He's looked good in that offense. Gary Harris and Jalen Suggs are definitely good secondary scorers. But Orlando needs more help, so I have them taking Asar Thompson, a 20-year-old small forward from Overtime Elite, 6'6", 218-pound small forward, the brother of Amon Thompson, who I had going fourth overall to Houston. Now this is Asar Thompson going sixth overall, 16.3 points per game, 7.1 rebounds, 6.1 assists, shooting 30% from three last year for Overtime Elite. Very good all-around player. His best attribute is his ability to take over in transition. Great defensively as well. Hopefully will improve his shot at the next level. I was contemplating him going fifth overall to Detroit. I thought he'd pair well with Killian Hayes and Kane Cunningham along with Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, and Isaiah Stewart. But ultimately, I chose him to go to Orlando since I think they need more scoring in transition. He could score naturally. He definitely helped them in their transition game. I think he'd look good in Orlando. With the seventh overall pick, it is the Indiana Pacers, who were 35-47 last year. They finished five games out of the play-in tournament and had the fourth-worst record in the Eastern Conference last year. There's a team that's been rebuilding and trying to build around Tyrese Halliburton. They still have some pieces in Buddy Hield and Miles Turner that I believe they could move on from at some point whether it's now in the offseason or the trade deadline next year. I believe by February of 2024, which is a trade deadline, I think you could see at least one of those two guys either healed or turn to be gone. They have a glaring hole at power forward with Aaron Neesmith as their projected starter at the four position right now. So I have them taking Taylor Hendricks, a freshman power forward from UCF, a 6'8", 214-pound forward, who earned 15.1 points per game, 7 rebounds, 1.4 assists, and shooting 39.4% from three last year for UCF. After watching his tape, I think he could be legitimate still. Since he has a talent to go top five, I think he goes out of the top five. I think he could be legitimate still for a team inside the top ten. Very athletic player. Very good 3 and D guy as well. Probably the best 3 and D player in this year's draft. Has heavy upside. I think he'd pair well with Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton. With the eighth overall pick, the Washington Wizards hold that pick. They were 35-47 last year, had the fourth-worst record in the Eastern Conference, tied with the Indiana Pacers with 35 wins. And they were five games out of the play-in, same with the Indiana Pacers. This Wizards roster will more likely than not be the worst in the NBA next year in my eyes. If you look at it, they've already moved on from Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis, two very good stars. Kyle Kuzma just opted out of his deal to be a free agent. And now they just traded Chris Paul for Jordan Poole, who is now their best player, Jordan Poole. But regardless, this is a team that's rebuilding, and they don't really have much to build around, I guess, besides Jordan Poole now. So they could use help everywhere. So honestly, I have them taking Bilal Koulibaly with the eighth overall pick here. I think they could roll the dice on this French prospect. 6'8", 194-pound small forward with a 7'3 wingspan from France. He averaged 5.1 points per game, 3 rebounds, and 0.8 assists. Shooting 45% from 3 as a pro alongside Victor Wambanyama for the Mets 92 team in France. 27 games for the Mets 92 squad, which, as I said, is the highest division in French basketball in the professional leagues over there in France. But before playing for Mets 92, he played in the LNB Espoirs League which is a league right below the LNBA league, which is where Victor Wambanyama and Koulibaly ended up being teammates. But in that league, Koulibaly averaged 21.9 points per game, and this is in the Espars league, so just a step below. 
Averaging 6.4 rebounds, 2.6 steals, and 1.2 blocks per game. Obviously, there's a little bit less competition there since he's playing younger guys. And then once he got promoted to the senior team, the Mets 92 squad, he didn't really have that, uh, obviously big of a stat line that he did in the younger league there, but he has fallen up draft boards. I think if he falls further than the 8th overall pick, I think OKC could roll the dice on him with the 12th overall selection. After that, I think that's the latest he'd be selected. I think 12 is probably the lowest he would go in the draft. He's a very explosive athlete that could defend very well, very young, and has tons of room to grow at just 18 years old. So I think going 8 overall here would be a pretty good pickup by the Washington Wizards. With the ninth overall pick, I have the Utah Jazz going and getting Anthony Black, a freshman point guard slash shooting guard from Arkansas, 6'6", 210-pound point guard slash shooting guard, kind of a combo guard who averaged 12.8 points per game, 5.1 rebounds, 3.9 assists, 30% from three, and 2.1 steals per game. Very good playmaker last year for Arkansas, who has excellent court vision and has great ball handling skills as well. Could definitely help facilitate that offense and open it up even more. This is a Jazz team that I'm very high on. I think this team's going to be very good for years to come. Very big fan of the young core. Colin Sexton, Larry Markkinen, Kelly Olenek, Walker Kessler, Ochaya Baji, Lucas Semanic, Simone Fontecchio. They have a pretty nice young core there of players. Obviously, Sexton, Markkinen, Olenek, Kessler, Ochaya Baji, the main core there of their starting five. They also have Taylor Horton-Tucker, Lucas Semanic, and Simone Fontecchio as well. They were 10-8. and eight. In games decided by three points or less last year, the 10th best in the NBA. Pretty good squad that I think is going to be even better this year. I think with this pick, I have them going Anthony Black. I think it look good alongside Walker Kessler and Kelly Linick. I think you definitely help dish the ball to those guys on pick and roll. I think they need to add to their backcourt. Their frontcourt's obviously very good. Walker Kessler, Kelly Linick, Laurie Markkinen. I think you add even more when you add to their backcourt. Give them another guard in that lineup. I think it'd be very good for them. So adding Anthony Black could definitely help out their offense even more. This is a team that I'm very high on, and I think they're going to be very, very good for years to come. And obviously, credit to Danny Ainge. Very good GM, and he knows what he's doing there. Next up, the Dallas Mavericks have the 10th overall pick, 38-44 last year. They had a 9-16 record after trading for Kyrie Irving, who is a free agent. Looks to return in free agency, though. There was 7-15 post-All-Star break last year, so obviously things... With Kyrie Irving didn't go as well as most people expected. I didn't think it would go well in Dallas. So obviously, I was on track there thinking that it wasn't going to work out defensively. And then obviously, offensively, both Luka and Kyrie want the ball. And now there are reports that Kyrie wants to be back in Dallas and that he's not being as heavily pursued in the free agency market as you'd imagine. So probably back with the Dallas Mavericks. That means it'd be Luka, Kyrie, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Reggie Bullock. As their four main players coming back from last season, obviously Luka and Kyrie are the top-heavy best two players on the team. And then they have a couple good role players in Tim Hardaway Jr. and Reggie Bullock. They do have to add more to their front court and get better defensively. But I have them taking Cam Whitmore here, a freshman small forward from Villanova, six foot six, two hundred thirty-five pound. Small forward, 12.5 rebounds per game, 5.3 rebounds, 1.4 steals, shooting 34% from three at 48% from the floor overall for Villanova. 40-inch vertical, another guy in the draft that can jump out the gym, can shoot and play defense very well. Obviously showcased that at Villanova for the Wildcats, and that's definitely something Dallas needs help with. They need help defensively and shooting. He could fall because of injury concerns, according to reports in the last few days. He was supposed to go top five at one point, but now he will be falling out of the top five, according to most reports. So I have him going in the back half of the top 10, going 10th overall to the Dallas Mavericks. Now with the 11th overall pick, the Orlando Magic had this pick from the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls last year, 40 and 42. Orlando picks up this pick from them in the trade for Nikola Vucevic. Orlando, 34 and 48 last year. 
They had the sixth overall pick in this year's draft. I had them taking Asad Thompson in this mock draft at six. Now with the 11th overall pick, they have options to trade down or take a guy that fell out of the top 10, that shouldn't have fallen out of the top 10. But I have them taking a play here with this pick rather than trading it. And I have them taking a freshman small forward from Kansas. And that is Grady Dick, who is one of the best three-point shooters in this draft. Also averaged 14.1 points per game, 5.1 rebounds, 1.7 assists, and as I said, 40.3% from three last year. So obviously one of the best three-point shooters in the country. Very similar to Kyle Korver and Reggie Miller from three. And this Magic team definitely needs help shooting-wise, so he'd be a great addition to their offense if they were to get him with the 11th overall pick. Now with the 12th overall pick, the Oklahoma City Thunder stood at 40-42 and 42 last year. Very young team with a bright future. They had three picks in the top 12 last year. They got Chet Holmgren, Jalen Williams, and Usman Jang. They also have a couple other young players as well. They're building around Josh Giddey. Shade Gilgis Alexander, SGA has been great for them. And then also Lou Dort. They could definitely use more help scoring, though. And I have them taking Jordan Hawkins, a sophomore shooting guard from UConn, 6'4, 106 pound shooting guard, averaged 16.2 points per game last year for the UConn Huskies, 3.8 rebounds, 1.3 assists, shooting 38.8% from three. Hit 193s this past year for the Huskies. Knockdown lights out shooter right there with Grady Dick as the best shooter in this draft. I think he'd be very good in this Oklahoma City rotation, a team that needs help shooting. I think he'd be a great addition to their lineup and would be a still a 12 overall considering how good of a three-point shooter he is, shooting 39% from three last year for UConn. Most people have him going around 15, maybe 16 or 17, but I think he'd be a very good impact player right away in the NBA. Next up, the 13th overall pick it is the Toronto Raptors, who were 41-41 last year. They're in the middle of being one foot in, one foot out. As you can see, a team that was deadlocked at 500 last year, they're still one foot in, one foot out. Fred Van Vliet is a free agent. Pascal Siakam is always a guy that's in trade rumors. They don't want to move Scotty Bonds or OG Ananobi, at least at the trade deadline last year. They were reluctant to move either one of those guys, and according to reports, probably won't move on from either one this offseason either. They could definitely use help at point guard, especially if Van Vliet leaves in free agency. So I have them taking Kaysen Wallace, a freshman point guard from Kentucky, who stands at 6'3", 195 pounds. He averaged 11.7 points per game last year for the Wildcats, 3.7 rebounds, 4.3 assists, shooting 35% from three, and also averaged two steals per game. He can contribute on both ends of the floor. Very good playmaker and has heavy upside defensively. So I think he could definitely help out the Toronto Raptors, especially if they do ultimately move on from Fred Van Vliet. They would need help at point guard. I think Casey Wallace would be a good addition he was great at Kentucky, and by the end of the season, he was the only guy that really showed up in some of those games. Obviously, Oscar Shebae was great on the glass. He rebounded very well, but offensively, Kaysen Wallace was really all they had at some points late in the season last year. I think he'd be very good for the Raptors. With the 14th overall pick, it is the New Orleans Pelicans, who were 42-40 and 40 last year. They've been in heavy trade talks to trade up for the third overall pick and sent Zion Williamson to Portland. But according to reports, the New Orleans Pelicans front office is very reluctant to move on from Brandon Ingram, and rightfully so. I would rather move on from Zion Williamson than move on from Brandon Ingram. Zion's a guy you really can't rely on to stay healthy, so it makes sense that that front office would rather keep Brandon Ingram and move on from Zion Williamson. It seems like Zion could definitely be traded at some point by the Pelicans front office, but I don't think as of now he'll go for the third overall pick. 
I think Portland may just keep that third overall selection as of now, take Scoot Henderson and see where things go from there. If they were to rebuild and get rid of Damian Lillard, then they have a guy to build around at the guard position in Scoot Henderson rather than trading for a guy like, let's say, Zion Williamson for a year or two just for him to be hurt most of the time. I don't think they're going to do that. I think if they're going to go and get a player to play around Damian Lillard, it's going to be a guy that's better than Zion Williamson since Zion you cannot rely on to stay healthy. But with this pick, the 14th overall selection, I think New Orleans has to add to their front court. You can't rely on Zion to stay healthy. As I said, they could definitely use a shooter as well in New Orleans. They do have decent shooters in CJ McCollum and Trey Murphy the third. Trey Murphy the third, very good three-point shooter. Brandon Ingram's pretty good as well uh, offensively. Then they have Zion Williamson and Jonas Valanciunas as their starting lineup to complete it. I think Derek Lively, the second a freshman center from Duke who stands at 7'1", 230. I think he'd be very good in that lineup for New Orleans. Very good in athletic rim protector, 7'7", seven seven wingspan. Not the best scorer, just 5.1 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, and also 2.4 blocks per game, though, which is obviously pretty good. 2.4 blocks per game you'll take from anybody. Shot just 15% from three. Definitely needs to get that up in the NBA. But has the ability to stretch the floor a little bit if he can get the three-point shot at least a little bit improved. But as I said, very good defensively, very good rim protector. I think he'd be good in that New Orleans starting lineup. So next up is the Atlanta Hawks. Stood at 41-41 last year, 15th pick in this year's draft. An interesting team that could keep Trey Young and DeJounte Murray together for another year or split them up, and I wouldn't be surprised. They definitely need some scoring depth and some shooting. DeAndre Hunter, Jones Collins, Bogdan Badanovich, and Clint Capella are all solid pieces around DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, but they need more at the end of the day, especially to compete in the East. They did take a couple games from the Celtics, though, in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs last year. I think if they keep DeJounte Murray and Trey Young together, this team definitely needs to add a forward. So I have them taking... Chris Murray, a junior power forward from Iowa, 6'8", 213-pound forward, who was a very good scorer last year for the Iowa Hawkeyes, averaged 20.2 points per game, 7.9 rebounds, 2 assists, shooting 34% from 3, also averaged 1.2 blocks per game and 1 steal per game, had a ton of experience in college as a junior, was a key contributor on defense as well this past year for the Hawkeyes. Very NBA-ready player. He's also the brother of Keegan Murray, the fourth overall pick last year to the Sacramento Kings. I think he'd be a great pick overall here with the 15th overall selection by the Atlanta Hawks. With the 16th overall pick, the Utah Jazz own this pick from the Minnesota Timberwolves in that Rudy Gobert trade. Minnesota last year was 42-40, and 40, made the playoffs. They end up giving this pick, though, to Utah. Utah last year was 37-45, as I said. I would love to see them add Leonard Miller here. An 18-point-per-game scorer last year for the G League Ignite squad. Also averaged 11 rebounds, 1.6 assists, and shot 33% from three. Could be one of the biggest gems of the draft. Can score in transition or driving down the lane. Automatic double-double in the G League. Just 19 years old, so he has a lot of room to develop. Think he'd be a good selection here for Utah with the 16th overall pick. Next up, the 17th overall selection, it is the Los Angeles Lakers, who are 43-39 and 39 last year. The Lakers desperately need shooting help around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. AD and LeBron, still two great plays you can build around, but they definitely need more help in regards to shooting. And that's why they're taking Kobe Bufkin, a sophomore shooting guard from Michigan who stands at 6'4", 187 pounds. Very good left-handed shooter that can create his own shot, which could help the Lakers on offense. Good defensively as well. Averaged 14 points per game last year to go along with 4.5 rebounds, 2.9 assists, and 36% from three for the Wolverines. 
I think if Bufkin is taken here with the 17th overall pick, I think that means D'Angelo Russell's role would be gone. It would definitely make D'Angelo Russell more expendable if the Lakers wanted to trade him. One thing to mention is Austin Reeves is a restricted free agent, so if they were to lose him as well, they would need another guy in that lineup, and maybe Bufkin would definitely help fill the void there if they were to lose Austin Reeves. So now with the 18th overall pick, it is the Miami Heat, who just lost in the NBA Finals a few weeks ago to the Denver Nuggets in five games. The Heat last year were 44-38 and 38 this past season. They need help alongside Bam Adebayo in the paint. They made it back to the NBA Finals this year, which, which was a very impressive run for them. But you could obviously see there's a difference in talent between Denver and Miami, and then also in the paint as well. There's a little bit of a stretch here with this selection, but I have them taking Noah Clowney, a freshman power forward from Alabama, who stands at 6'10", 210 pounds. Averaged 9.8 points per game, 7.9 rebounds, 0.8 assists, and shot 28% from three alongside a stat line of 0.94 blocks per game. But one worry about Clowney is that he's a little bit more of a project. He definitely has to develop his shot a little bit more. But I think he could be a very good rim protector and be a force on the glass in the paint for Miami and definitely make things a little bit easier on Bam Adebayo since they've been reluctant to really add a very good backup center beside, uh, alongside him or a guy in the paint alongside him. Caleb Martin was the power forward for them in the playoffs this past year against the Celtics. But I think they could definitely add a little bit more help in that paint. And I think Clowney would be a great pick there by Miami with the 18th overall selection. With the 19th overall pick, it is the Golden State Warriors, who were 44-38 and 38 this past year. After trading Jordan Poole, they are in the market for another shooter to complete their offense. This is an offense that's old. Draymond Green, who just opted out of his $27.6 million player option for this upcoming season, is a free agent, is old. And then if you look at you have Steph Curry, who's old. Getting older, I should say. Clay Thompson's getting older. Chris Paul is 38 years old. This team definitely could use a younger shooter to build around. Obviously, Jordan Poole didn't really work out. He's gone now. So I think a guy in Bryce Sensabaugh, a freshman small forward from Ohio State, who's 6'6", 235 pounds, I think he'd be very good on this Golden State offense. He averaged 16.3 points per game this past season, 5.4 rebounds, 1.2 assists, and shot 40.5% from three. I think he'd be a very good add for the Warriors in that offense. He did suffer a knee injury, though, at the end of last season, which could cause him to drop in the draft. He was great for Ohio State off the catch, though, shooting-wise. Is already built enough to hold his own in the NBA and definitely could contribute right away for the Golden State Warriors, who are, who are still in win-now mode, as you can tell, by them trading a young player in Jordan Poole for Chris Paul. Next up, the 20th overall pick, it is the Houston Rockets who have this pick from the LA Clippers. The Clippers last year were 44 and 38. As a Houston, they were 22 and 60. With the fourth overall pick in this mock draft, I have them taking Amon Thompson. Now with this selection, the 20th overall pick, I have them adding to their backcourt. I have them taking Jalen Hood Shafino, a freshman point guard from Indiana, who stands six foot four, 217 pounds. I think he's the best available player overall here. And if you look at Houston, they can only keep adding to their young talent with this selection. I think Hood Shafino would be a great pick here. 13.5 points per game last year for Indiana to go along with 4.1 rebounds, 3.7 assists, shooting 33% from three, and also averaging 0.8 steals per game. He's a 6'10 wingspan, which is pretty good for a 6'4 guard. Can get his hands in the passing lanes as well. Combo guy that can change the pace of the game and drive to the hoop pretty well. I'm not against him. I think he is a very good player, but most people have him going in the top 10 to most mock drafts and to a lot of analysts. But I have him falling somehow, and now I have him going 20th overall to Houston. Very good player. Not really sure how he fell in my mock draft, but he did somehow, and here he is going 20th overall to Houston. With the 21st overall pick, the Brooklyn Nets have this selection from the Phoenix Suns. This was part of the Kevin Durant trade. Phoenix last year was 45-37. This is their pick. Uh, as for the Brooklyn Nets, they were 45-37 as well. 
for the Nets in this offseason, Cam Johnson is currently restricted free agent, so they have to figure things out from there. For this team, last year at this time, they had the aspirations to still win it all with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. But now since then, everything has broken up. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant went their separate ways at the trade deadline. And obviously Ben Simmons as well is a question mark whether or not he'll play at any point for the Brooklyn Nets. He was traded to the Brooklyn Nets for James Harden a year and a half ago and has never played a game for the Brooklyn Nets. We'll see what happens there. But they did have the aspirations a year ago to win the NBA Finals with Ben Simmons, with Kyrie Irving, with Kevin Durant, and obviously things didn't work out there. So Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving go their opposite ways. Obviously Durant going to the Phoenix Suns, and then Kyrie Irving going to the Dallas Mavericks. This is a team that's rebuilding and still trying to compete while rebuilding, rebuilding around Mikel Bridges, who they got in that Kevin Durant trade, and maybe even Cam Johnson as well, who, as I said, is a restricted free agent, but I think they'll bring him back. With this pick, the 21st overall selection, I have them taking Jet Howard, a freshman shooting guard from Michigan, six foot eight, 215-pound guard, who averaged 14.2 points per game this past season for the Wolverines, 2.8 rebounds, 2 assists per game, and 0.6 blocks per game. Also averaged 37% shooting from three. A very good shooter that could add to Brooklyn's offense. Also, I have them taking another guy with the 22nd overall pick that could add to their offense as well. But as for Howard, he's a plus defender who has a strong build. Young player as well, has, who has room to grow. He's also the son of Juwan Howard, former NBA veteran. So we'll see what happens with these two picks. Brooklyn has a 21st and 22nd picks. With the 21st pick, I have them taking Jet Howard. And now with the 22nd pick, I have them taking Keontae George, a freshman shooting guard from Baylor who stands at 6'4", 185 pounds. George averaged 15.3 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 2.8 assists, to go along with 34% shooting from three. I think he's the best player overall here available. And the Nets have the luxury of taking whoever they want with these two picks since it's back-to-back. The 21st pick, which they got from the Phoenix Suns, and the 22nd pick, which is their own pick. They have the luxury of taking whoever they want. They can even take one of these picks and trade the other one if they wanted to since they have two picks back-to-back. And they have a nice corner piece to build around in Mikhail Bridges. George can shoot very well and add to their offense. His weakness, though, is defense. We'll see what happens with the 21st and 22nd picks for the Brooklyn Nets. With the 23rd overall pick, it is the Portland Trail Blazers taking this pick from the New York Knicks. The Knicks were 47-35 this past year, even made a run in the Eastern Conference playoffs, which was a surprise to most. The Portland Trail Blazers, though, own this pick. I have them taking Scoot Henderson with the third overall pick in this draft. And now with this pick here... At 23 overall, I have them taking Derek Whitehead, a freshman small forward from Duke who stands at 6'6", 217 pounds, averaged 8.3 points per game, 2.4 rebounds per game, and assists per game, which shot 42% from three last year for Duke. Has had injury issues with his foot, so that could definitely make him fall in the draft, but he definitely has the talent, and I think he's even better than what he showcased last year for Duke since he was battling injuries. He's a great shot maker that can, cre- can create his own shot, and I think if Damian Lillard is gone, he could definitely take time to develop in that Portland Trail Blazers offense. And even if Damon Lewitt is there, I think he could definitely be a benefit around Lewitt since Lewitt definitely needs shooters around him to help out on offense. I think he'd be a great pick with the 23rd overall selection. As for the 24th overall pick, the Sacramento Kings own this pick. 48-34 and 34 record last year. Had a very good season, very successful season for Sacramento. Happy to see their rebuild go successfully over the last couple of years. And obviously made the playoffs for the first time, first time since 2004. They need more shooters around De'Aaron Fox. They could definitely benefit from adding size in the paint as well. With this pick at 24 overall, I have them taking Nick Smith Jr., a freshman shooting guard from Arkansas who stands at 6'5", 185 pounds. He averaged 12.5 points per game, 
Also, 1.6 rebounds per game, 1.7 assists per game, and shot 33.8% from three for the Razorbacks last year. He can create his own shot with ease. He's great on pull-up pull up jump shots as well and can get very hot from three, which could help De'Aaron Fox on offense. Only played 17 games this past season due to an injury, so that could be a reason he falls, but I would love to see him play alongside De'Aaron Fox. Next up is the 25th overall pick, which was originally the Memphis Grizzlies pick, and now it was a Boston Celtics pick. The Celtics' most glaring need is at the point guard position. I don't think you can really trust Derek White to facilitate the offense. He's more of a two-guard than a one in my eyes. No point guards in range here with the 25th overall pick. So I have the Celtics adding a shooter to their backcourt here, and I have them taking Colby Jones, a junior shooting guard from Xavier, who stands at 6'5", 199 pounds. He averaged 15 points per game last year, 5.7 rebounds, 4.4 assists, and shot 38% from three for Xavier. Has a little bit more experience, which the Celtics could definitely use since they do not have much time for players that are projects. They're in win-now mode. They need players that are ready to play right now in the NBA. I think he could be a good fit alongside Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He could take the role of Malcolm Brogdon if Brogdon were to miss a good amount of next season. I was thinking about the Celtics taking Amari Bailey here, a point guard from UCLA. I think he'd be a good fit in that offense, but he's not really a 25th overall pick. I think it'd be very early for him to go 25 overall, so maybe the Celtics get him in the second round. They need a window contributor. I think Colby Jones would definitely be that guy for the Celtics. With the 26th overall pick, the Indiana Pacers own this pick from the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavaliers last year, 51-31, and 31, ended up being a first-round exit, surprisingly. The New York Knicks took them out. Indiana, 35-47 overall record last year. I had them taking Taylor Hendricks earlier in this mock draft to help them in the paint. Now with this pick, I have them taking Jaime Jaquez, a senior shooting guard from UCLA who stands at 6'6", 226 pounds. Jaime Jaquez averaged 17.8 points per game this past year to go along with 8.2 rebounds, 2.4 assists, and shooting 32% from three. I think he can help the Pacers right now on offense. He can make plays right away for them. He was a veteran in college. He was at some experience and then also was a great defender as well in college and was also the Pac-12 player of the year. I think he'd be a great pick here in a steal with the 26th overall selection. With the 27th overall pick, it is a Charlotte Hornets taking this pick. It went from Denver to New York to Oklahoma City, now to Charlotte. Charlotte also holds the second overall pick in this year's draft, which I had them taking Brandon Miller out of Alabama, the second overall pick. Now with this pick, 27 overall, I had them taking James Najee, a center from Barcelona, Six foot eleven center that is just 18 years old. Played for FC Barcelona in Liga ACB, the top Spanish professional league this past year. He's a seven foot five wingspan, stands at six foot eleven in 12.1 minutes per game. He averaged 4.9 points per game, three rebounds, 0.3 assists, and 0.7 blocks per game, shooting 70.5% from the floor and 44% from the free throw line. Obviously, he has to get better from the free throw line. 44% from three is not going to cut it in the NBA. He's not going to get many minutes if you're shooting 44% from three, but for a guy with that wingspan and that height, he could definitely get time in the NBA as a rim protector. He can obviously make plays on the glass getting rebounds. He's a very good shot blocker and can also throw down some sky-high lobs. So we'll see what happens there, but I think he'd be a good pick with the 27th overall selection. Next up at the 28th overall pick, it is Utah Jazz picking yet again here. This pick was originally the Philadelphia 76ers pick, but they ended up trading it to Brooklyn in that James Harden-Ben Simmons deal. And now Brooklyn ended up trading it to Utah just a year ago now during the summer for Royce O'Neal. So it was the Utah Jazz picking here at third at 28. They have the ability to take some young guys and watch them develop, even if they are the, a project. I love the future of this team. I think they have a lot to look forward to. I think they're built to compete and make a run in the Western Conference for years to come alongside Oklahoma City and Houston. 
With this pick, I'm taking Maxwell Lewis, a small forward from Pepperdine, who stands at 6'8", 207 pounds. Dynamic offensive player that can help score off the bench. He can score off the catch, can also help score off the dribble as well, and can drive. His weakness is playmaking, though. He did average 3.3 turnovers per game last year for Pepperdine. He did average more turnovers per game than he did assists per game. His stat line, though, was pretty impressive, though, overall. 17.1 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists to go along with 35% shooting from three and 0.8 steals per game. Next up is the 29th overall pick, which was supposed to be the Indiana Pacers pick. This was the Celtics pick here, which they traded to the Pacers last summer for Malcolm Brogdon and then Aaron Neesmith deal. And now Indiana just traded it to Denver. So with this pick, the 29th overall pick, I think Denver's going to try to get a contributor off their bench, similar to what they did with Christian Brown last year in the, in the draft. I think they're going to go and look and get a guy that can help them right now that has some experience and is that uh, win-now contributor and can help them right away off the bench. So I have them taking Brandon Podzimski, a shooting guard from Santa Clara who stands at six foot four, 204 pounds. He's 20 years old. Can contribute right away for Denver, and that's what they need. As I said, he averaged 20 points per game, 8.8 rebounds, 3.7 assists, shooting 44% from three, or six three-point attempts per game last year for Santa Clara. Can be a great score for them off the bench. I was thinking of them taking Olivier Maxence Prosper here, a six foot seven, 212-pound small forward from Marquette. Omax, very good player, averaged 12.5 points per game last year, 4.7 rebounds, 0.7 assists, and shooting 34% from three. He can attack the basket very well. His best ability is defense, though. It definitely has the ability to help you on offense as well by attacking the basket. He does have to get better, though, jump shooting-wise. But I think he'd be a good fit for Denver. But I have them ultimately taking Podzimski here. would like to see either one of these guys with Denver and helping them off the bench. And with the 30th overall pick, it is my LA Clippers taking this pick. It was originally the Milwaukee Bucks pick, and then it was traded to Houston, and now it is the LA Clippers pick, who stood at 44 and 38 this last year. The Clippers are in win now mode. I'm hoping they keep Paul George and Kawhi Leonard together for just one more year. I think they're trying to run it back with these guys, and they need a win now contributor. They still have so much depth, but they definitely need help in the paint. Probably will move on from Marcus Morris and will likely limit Nick Batum's minutes next year as well. So they're in need of help in the paint. Avita Zubats definitely needs help. If Mason Plumlee is gone in free agency, which is likely, he is a free agent, so maybe the Clippers just try to fill the void there with a guy that's less money. We'll see what happens. Uh, but ultimately, I would love to see this Clippers team run it back with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Hopefully, they re-sign Russell Westbrook in free agency. With this pick, i like them to take Gigi Jackson, a power forward from South Carolina, six foot nine, 215-pound, 18-year-old prospect, the youngest player in this year's draft who averaged 15.4 points per game for South Carolina alongside 32% shooting from three, 5.9 rebounds, 0.8 blocks, and 0.75 steals per game. He already has an NBA build and has a lot of raw talent that definitely could grow and develop more since he's only 18 years old. He has a lot of time to develop. And if you look at it, he has incredible athleticism as well, plays very aggressive, can score from any level. And shout out to my buddy, ClipK74, big fan of his YouTube page. He's a guy that was always about the Clippers taking Gigi Jackson. Hopefully tonight, Gigi Jackson is an L.A. Clipper with the 30th overall pick. We'll ultimately see what happens there. So now I'm going to break down some potential round two steals. I'll start off with Jalen Wilson, a six foot eight, 230-pound junior small forward from Kansas who averaged 20 points per game, eight rebounds, and shooting 34% from three for the Jayhawks last year. He was a Big 12 player of the year and can get buckets. Wouldn't mind seeing him in a Clippers uniform. Next up, Ryan Rupert, a 6'6", 193-pound small forward from France, who is 19 years old. 
He's a French basketball player who played in New Zealand professionally, averaged 5.9 points per game, 2.1 rebounds, 0.9 assists per game, shooting 23% from three in New Zealand. Needs to become better offensively to get a good amount of minutes in the NBA, but his defense could definitely get him minutes right away in the NBA. He averaged 0.74 steals per game last year for New Zealand. Next up is Marcus Sasso, a 6'2", 195-pound senior shooting guard from Houston, who was one of the best players in the country this past year. He averaged 16.6 points per game, 2.8 rebounds, 3.1 assists, and shot 38% from three. Very pure score that Houston relied on heavily in their run as a number one seed in March Madness. Next up is Keontae Johnson from Kansas State, one of the best stories in college basketball. Averaged 17.4 points per game this past season, 6.8 rebounds, 2.1 assists, one steal, and shot 41% from three. We'll love to see him on the Clippers if they were to be able to get him in the second round. I think he'll be gone by the time the Clippers pick at 48. But if he were to fall at 48, there would be a stale for the Clippers. He'd be a great win-now player for them in that lineup. Next up is Traquavion Smith, who averaged 18 points, 3.6 rebounds, and 4.1 assists this past year for NC State. I saw him go off at BC, actually, this past year. Was just a lights-out shooter. Very similar to Bones Highland. Very good shooter, can drive, definitely change up the pace of the game. I think he'd be a great steal in the second round. Next up is Oscar Shibwe, National Player of the Year a year ago for Kentucky. Can be a force on the glass and defensively. Not really as great of a threat offensively, but I think he can get himself some minutes in the NBA because how good he is defensively and getting rebounds. I think he'll be a steal in round two. And next up is Mike Miles, my favorite prospect in this draft. Would love to see him go to the Clippers with the 48th overall selection. One of the most overall underrated players in all college basketball who could do it all on both ends of the floor. He gives it his all every single possession. Night in and night out will give you everything he's got. He averaged 18 points per game, 2.7 rebounds, 1.2 steals, and 36% shooting from three this past year for TCU. He was a junior this past year, so he has some experience. Could definitely help the Clippers in their win-now mode. I think he's NBA-ready scoring-wise. He averaged 13.5 points per game as a true freshman three years ago. Averaged 15.5 points per game two years ago. And this past year... This last year, I should say, averaged 17.9 points per game for TCU. So he's been a great scorer for TCU all three years there. And I think he'll be a great contributor in the NBA. I would love to see him be an L.A. Clipper. I think he could be, he could be the biggest steal in the NBA draft, especially considering a lot of analysts are saying he's going to go late in the second round, which is a shock to me. When I've, Whenever I watched him play, I always thought he could be a contributor in the NBA and be a great player. Considering he's going to go late in round two, that means that some scouts... And Anna will see him as a G League player probably right away. I think he's ready to contribute right away in the NBA. And I think he could be a very good hidden gem. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. And hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.